Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. Thank you. It's a great privilege to be here. I'm at I'm here at the request of Pastor James and the permission of my wife. And every man that has ever been married knows exactly what that means. Um, what James didn't say is that I am, today I celebrate 41 years of marriage. So today is my wife and I's anniversary. She'll be in the second service. So she sent, sent you her love and to say that she married the greatest man that you could have possibly, this is her words, have ever married or imagined, which is why we've had such a great marriage. Now I'll have a different story in the second service. So this is a great day for me. Would you please stand as we read the word? Um, I have been given the task of preaching from the text that Robert Morris mentioned and did such an amazing job setting the table for it. I'm going to zoom back a little bit. And if I entitled this message, it would be the answer, a baby, the answer, a baby. And we're going to unpack that and see what that means in light of these passages. So I'm going to begin in the eighth chapter of the book of Isaiah, chapter verse 19. And it may seem a little disparate where we land, but I'm going to save us a lot of reading time. Uh, chapter 8, verse 19. Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. And this is a great question. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Great question. Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his words are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they're hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down to the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. Chapter 9, verse 1, and it says this, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Dropping down to verse 6, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His governance and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that your words of life would enter this room. And Jesus, I pray for those who are in dark despair, that these words of life would revive them. Jesus, I pray more than anything else, you would reveal yourself to those who do not know you, that are at war with you, that have issues with you. And I pray through the power of your word that truly Christmas, the message of Christmas, 
of Jesus coming in the flesh, the God-man, would be understood in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, when you're reading a prophet book, a prophetic book in the Old Testament, I want to warn you, they're very depressing. All the prophetic books are very depressing. When you crack them open, make sure you've got a gallon of Jenny's ice cream on one side with a big spoon, and on the other side, a large bag of Oreo cookies, because you need some comfort food before you engage a prophetic book, because prophetic books, they deal with extreme reality, reality like nobody else can ever get that clear. And so when you crack open the book of Isaiah, you find this rhythm. And all the prophetic books have this rhythm. It's horror and hope back to horror and back to hope and back to horror and back to hope. Now, the horror part is nothing but a survey of humanity. When the prophets speak... They're surveying the land, and God gives them insight, and from their own encounter with God, then they begin to to speak with razor sharpness about the problem before the answer is given. And you know, the Christmas message is an answer. It's an answer. But that answer fell in a context with a lot of problems. And before you understand the power of the Christmas message, you have to understand the horror of the problems the answer was designed for. One of my jobs is consulting, to go in with a a set of skills that you pay good money for and you get those skills. Anybody can do it if you pay the money and get the skills. And, and, but what you're not supposed to do is give the answer before you know what the problem is. And so most of my skill development is ascertaining reality. And you know, reality is hard to figure out. It is. If you ask my wife how our marriage is doing, how many of you understand that my answer probably wouldn't be the same? Just reality between two people is hard to get, let alone a nation, let alone a global context. So with Isaiah, it's critical to understand the backdrop before you can understand the Christmas answer. And I think this may change the way you view this nice, warm, and fuzzy answer that seemingly on the surface is incredible. But why? Was that the answer? First of all, a little bit about Isaiah. Isaiah was a homeboy. He was born and raised in Jerusalem. And he was a prophet. He was being raised by God. And the terrible thing is, is Scripture points out that he might have married a prophet. You talk about a, a spiritual superpower couple. I mean, the, the worst thing I would ever, I would never want to marry a wife that was a prophet. How many of you would ever want a woman that was a prophet? How many of you ever want a man that's a prophet? I mean, every time they'd come home, it'd be dark and gloom, and God's going to kill people. And, you know, it'd be like that. Well, this is that couple. They were, they were from Jerusalem. Now, the context nationally was this. Israel had been split in two because of a bad king, Solomon's son. 
And so there were two nations that made up the 12 tribes. One of them was Israel and the other was Judah. Israel had 10 tribes there, Judah too. But both of them had long since left the God of Israel, both of them. And this is the context that the prophet was raised up in. And so Isaiah begins to address the geopolitical, national, spiritual condition that was facing Israel. Now let me tell you, let me, let's, let's dive into the problem. Everybody say the problem. Now get ready to eat ice cream. This is going to be really bad. I did not want to do this on Christmas. Christmas is a happy thought sermon. But before we get to the happy thought, because if we get to the problem, then we're really going to be happy when we read the answer. We're going to shout. We may get up out of our chairs and scream, thank you, Jesus. Isaiah, growing up in Jerusalem, which was the capital of Judea, he had the horrible life where he watched the rank and file of the population forsake the God of Israel. And he saw the results of that. In his prophetic word, he talks about the vile corruption in the rank and file of the, of the normal local Judaite. And this is what he says. He says, you're into perversion morally. You're, you act just like the pagans. He says, now you're coming up with combined religion, syncretism. You're taking a little bit of paganism and a little bit of the God of Israel, and you're mixing it together, and now you got your own religion, but really all that it is is your God, and you're acting just like the pagans. They were, they were robbing from the poor. They didn't care about widows and orphans. They were becoming brutal. They were treacherous. They were away from God. Now, this is the, this is the bizarre thing. They still, were, they still were going to the temple. They were ticking the religious box, but their hearts were far away from their little tick box. Even in the Old Testament, God has never said yes to ritual that was heartless, ritual that was faithless. To him, that is a stench, and it was a stench in his nostrils that Israel would tick a box and, and make a sacrifice, yet their hearts were far away from them, and Isaiah wanted to point this out. But now their creed as a nation. You know what Israel's creed and Judah's creed was? The Lord is king. Isaiah says that. That was their creed. You know, Christianity, our creed is what? Jesus is Lord. Their creed was the Lord is king. Now the reason for that is because when God moved to say yes to kings, he said, okay, I'm going to make kings so you king Ahaz of Judah and you king of Israel, you're a king, but I am really the king. So you are my subject. Now, you're going to be the kind of king I want to be a king. You're not going to amass an army, and you're not going to amass a treasury, because I am the Lord of the hosts of heaven armies. How many of you remember we read that verse about heaven's armies? We saw that in here. Well, he's making that statement for a reason. You don't need an army because I got you covered. I got an army. How many of you think God's got one big bad army? He said, you do not take money from the poor as the king and amass a fortune and put your trust in that fortune 
I am your fortune. I am your portion. I am your wealth. So you will be a king, but you will be my servant. And you will be not like the kings of the earth. But guess what? These kings had become kings like the kings of the earth. They were amassing armies. They were amassing fortunes. They were drawing the money from the poor. They were, they were not overseeing the orphans. And, all the, and they became proud and that's what Isaiah was speaking into. And this is what happened. God snapped his fingers, Isaiah said. And in, the, in Mesopotamia was a superpower called Assyria. God snaps his fingers and it says that he assembled Assyria like a hive of bees or flies and sent the swarm towards Israel and Judah. And so we know this from history. Assyria rose up and they conquered Babylon like a buzzsaw. And then they moved from Babylon into current, it would be current uh, modern day Armenia. And they conquered that like a buzzsaw. And their troops were descending upon Damascus, which was the next border, border nation. It was Syria. Now when the troops got to the border of Syria and began to evade, the king of Assyria, or the king of Syria said, oh my goodness. So he went to the king of Israel and did what kings that lived there for thousands of years had done. He said, let's make a pact between your kingdom and my kingdom. Let's combine our armies and become an anti-Syrian army. And that king said, yes. He said, but we're going to also have to get Judah because they're too big for us. And so they went to Ahaz, Judah. They went to the hometown of Isaiah. And they said, we need to make a pact because we need a bigger army because our army has to be the size that we're going to defeat them. And Ahaz was petrified with fear when they came to him and tried to cut the deal. Now, when you look for the answer that Ahaz come up to to their problems, he seems to be the smart guy in the room, not God and not those other guys. Ahaz seems to be the smart guy because from human reasoning, he was brilliant. He said, look, you two kingdoms coming together against their hordes, they're going to kill you, and they did. He said, so if I strike a deal with you, Israel and uh, Syria, I'm going to die, and we're going to die. It's all going to know for naught. So he did what any good thinking human would do. He went and cut a deal with Assyria. He said, listen, you mongrel hordes, take my treasury. Take my, I'll worship your gods. I mean, I'll make you hamburgers. I will fan you. I'll give you grapes. Whatever you want, I will do. And he became their vassal. He became their vassal. Isaiah presented a whole different answer. He said, forget Assyria. Don't cut a deal with them. Forget Syria. Forget Israel. Let me be your God. And I'll handle them. But Ahaz was long gone. And he said no. Ahaz feared Assyria, but he didn't fear the Lord. And he had totally misplaced his fear. You see, that little slice of land was a critical piece of land 
for these two great empires, the one formed around the Nile, the Egyptians, and the one formed around Mesopotamia. That little strip called Israel or Palestine or whatever you want to call it. It was the main highway to connect to Asia, Africa, and the Far East. And if you were a superpower king, you needed that little plot of dirt. And if you were Egypt and you wanted to attack Mesopotamia, you had to go through that little plot of dirt. If you were the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Persians and you wanted to attack the Egyptians, you had to go through that little piece of dirt. So whoever was on that little piece of dirt, that little population, they were going to be the whipping boy of all the big gods. Don't you think it's interesting that the God of heaven placed his chosen people in the center of the known world and then said, forget about a big army, it'll never work. Forget about money, it'll never work. The only thing that keeps you is me. It was a setup way beyond any human brain or any idea that a human could construct. And Israel's history was just a yo-yo. Just like a yo-yo, Michael Jackson's favorite words. They were close and far and close and far and close and far. So Isaiah begins to speak to these horrific issues. Judah's society was a wreck. Marriages were trashed. Kids were immoral. Addiction was on the rampage. Hatred, vileness, gossip, slander. Everything that comes from a life away from God, was there in the midst of that community. So they had national problems, and they were deep. But you know, rising up was their impending doom historically. The sad news is this, that right after the Assyrians finished with Syria... A few years later, they defeated Israel. And those 10 tribes would be wiped off the place, the face of the planet forever. Forever. A couple decades later, Babylon would overtake Assyria and the great Babylonian empire, and they would wipe out and mow down Judah. That's how far away from God they were. I warned you it was going to get dark. Take a bite of ice cream real quick and get you an Oreo. Take a break. It's this moment that this passage of Scripture, Isaiah 9, pops up. You see, to know what this answer was, you got to know what it was going to solve. On the surface... You've got a nation breathing down your neck and they're going to kill you. This isn't a fairy tale. This is history. Imagine you're looking at your children and your wife and you know what they do when they come in and they take over a nation. Scary. And God's answer is this. I'm going to give you a baby.
And he's not going to be born for 700 more years. You have got to be kidding me. It's why when you read scripture and something plops out of left field, you need to stand up and take a deep look. Because this is what God was saying through the prophet. You think that you have moral problems. You think your problems are in your family. Now you think your problems are geopolitical. Oh, you're fearful of this army, but you've only got one problem, Judah. You only have one problem, Israel. One. You fear all the wrong things. You have put your trust in all the wrong things. So I'm going to give you the answer of all answers. Problem solved Every problem that humanity can come up with is going to be solved because I'm going to give you a baby. A baby. I am going to step out of heaven and I am going to incarnate myself in the flesh so you can see, but it's not going to happen for 700 years. One scholar I was reading said this about prophecy. He said, one of the great things about prophecy is it just shows us that the will of God will not be thwarted by any human good nor evil. It shows you something else. He's not in a hurry. He is not in a hurry he has never been in a hurry. I can't get him to speed up. I can't get him to slow down because he's the God of heaven. His answer is for a child is born to us. A son is given. What an answer. But this is where it gets amazing. Because he says, let me tell you, well, people are going to call him. Now, people have called him all kinds of things. But let me tell you what maybe a billion people have called him and what most of us call him. First of all, he's going to be a wonderful counselor. Now, back to that weird verse that we started with. Remember the weird verse? <laughs> you are looking for advice and you go to spiritists to raise the dead, to get counsel from dead folks about life. Remember, remember that? Remember Isaiah saying that? Who was their counselor? Dead people. You know you are in trouble. In the counseling box, when you go to a spiritist to bring forward a dead person, think about it. If you want to know how to live, why would you ask someone who didn't figure that out how to do it? They're dead. 
That's what he's saying. He said, they're dead folks. Why would you ever go ask a dead person? Couldn't you perhaps ask your God before you ask the dead? But let me tell you something that all of us have. We all have this sick disease that we're God. In all of our human situations, we think we know where to go and how to get out because God gives us a stupid single answer. It's a baby. You got issues? What do you do with that baby? Because he's a wonderful counselor. Everybody say wonderful counselor. That doesn't mean really good doesn't mean he has a PhD in counseling. It means supernatural. That word wonderful means divine. He's a divine counselor. Now, I don't typically like divine counsel. This is the kind of counsel and advice I want. Relief. Give me relief now. This is what I wish Isaiah would have said. Look, tip your hat to me, and I'm going to wipe out the Assyrians, and all's going to be great. No, 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 no. In my marriage, 40 years ago, I was begging for God to change my wife. <laughs> begging. Because all the demons of hell had found residence in her soul. <laughs> and God, if you would just heal my wife, and I hope you know I'm being stupid for a reason because I was stupid. When I ceased to pray, God, heal my wife. I gained 45 minutes in prayer every morning. It'll, it'll hit you later. It'll hit you. Why? Because God's answer wasn't information to form me. It was information to transform me. You see, there's a difference between human counsel and wonderful counsel. Oh, wonderful counsel always takes a different path because it changes your heart and your soul and your mind long before you follow the rules. It's after something else much deeper to transform you, and that is wonderful counsel. That is wonderful counsel, not cheap trick counsel. Today, the news, the great news is this. It does not matter what trouble you are in that you came in with. He is a wonderful counselor. He is a wonderful. If, if that's the answer to geopolitical problems in the world, if that is the answer to immorality, the first question I always ask is, what am I doing with Jesus? Am, uh, I got trouble in my marriage. Well, my first question is be, do you worship Jesus? Is he really your Lord? Because we got to get that clear first. Are you tracking with me? Ha, a man comes and says, I want to be a good father. I go, okay, what do you do about Jesus? Because I want to point to the baby first. Because the baby changed everything, as the song said. It changes everything. It is the beginning of the solution to every problem humans can create. 
And it does not matter how evil it is. I've counseled people in boardrooms and billion dollar corporations and they say, how can I be wise in the boardroom? And I look at them and I say, what do you do about the baby first? Let's get that straight first. Because wonderful counsel does not come from the brain of a man or a woman. It comes from the most high God. And when we say yes to Christmas, we are saying yes, we bow our knee to you, the wonderful counselor, because every problem humans can create you. You. You have the counsel. That's why a baby can change everything. The Christmas message is not an insipid, weak little baby lying in a manger so we can have Christmas trees. It's not, we are the world. A line from that song says this, we will save ourselves. You've got to be kidding me. If, if humanity hasn't figured out by now, we can't save ourselves. If you can't figure out that you can't save yourself. After thousands of years of horrible failure, then you will never figure it out. He is the wonderful God. He's the mighty God. I don't just need wonderful counsel. I need power. How many of you need a little bit of power? Like we need power. Ahaz needed power. I mean, imagine these thoughts coming across Ahaz's mind. Okay, they're going to kill me, and you want to give us a baby. And you call him a wonderful counselor? Well, I question that advice. I need mighty power. He said, yeah. He's not just the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. I remember my wife when the news came to her that her father had just dropped dead, who was her closest friend, a godly man. We were standing up doing a meeting like this in a retreat center. And, and I had just started, and this couple comes out, and I could see them talking in the background, and I could see, like, these leaders figuring out what to do. And then the, they came up, and they got me, and they got Renee, and they walked us in the back, and they said, your dad, your father just died of a stroke. He's dead. And you know what my wife did? <laughs> She was holding on to me, and she said, Jesus, because he's the wonderful counselor. In times like that, when you have no idea how you're going to walk this out, you know he's going to help you walk it out. And you know how come she had power? Because she cried out to the mighty God, the mighty God, to give power to her life. And I had been there three years prior when her 33-year-old brother died. And I was there when her father died, and she did the same thing. And I was there when her mother died, and she did the same thing because she has answered the Christmas question about this baby. That he's the beginning of every, everything, everything, 
everything. If my wife ever tells you anything at all good about me, there is only one reason. And if you knew me before Jesus, you would say a shouting hallelujah, amen to the moral mess and the vile person I was. If there's any good thing in me, it's because a baby was born and he's a wonderful counselor and he's the mighty God. And he's an everlasting father. He is not a bad dad. He's not a bad dad. He's not on and off again like I was. He's not a fractured father. He's an eternal father of substance. And when he disciplines, it's perfect. It is measured. And it is exactly what we need because he is the eternal father. And then he is the prince of peace. Prince of Peace. That little baby came, the incarnation, to become flesh. And the second reason that baby was born is because in spite of humanity's thinking that there's all kinds of trouble, humans have only particularly one war that's a bad one. And that's when you're not at peace with God. And that baby came to secure our peace with the Almighty God, the everlasting Father, and the wonderful Counselor. The message of Christmas is not Jesus came so that humans can get nicer and more full of peace and smarter better dressers, kinder, and therefore we can be at peace with mankind. No. No. The message of Christmas is you can't be at peace with one another apart from me, and you can't be at peace with God apart from me. So apart from me, there is no peace. So I am the prince of peace. Every day that I wake up, if there's peace between me and my woman of 41 years, it's because the prince of peace rules in our lives. It's not because we're so close to Jesus. We figure the peace deal out. Because we are close to Jesus, he consistently wakes me up every morning and says, you are going to be a man at peace with your wife today. He has to remind me every single day. So this baby message, it's a daily message. If you're mourning because of a loss of someone. Remember, God can only comfort you at a level that is that will connect your mourning to peace, your mourning to hope, because it doesn't connect it to any kind of external. It is connected in the God of this world. My wife looked at me and she said, honey, I want you to know you don't have to comfort me where only God can comfort me. I don't care where you are here today. The message of Christmas is the one thing that you need to hear. 
if it's in the boardroom, if it's in the marketplace where your stress is, if it's in your home, if you have children that are doing stupid things, if you had people that died, close friends, children die. One of our own right now, his grandchild, is being life-flighted to a hospital in Europe because of a horrific diagnosis. And I looked at him before he left and I said, may the God of peace follow you. He is the almighty God. We're praying that the almighty God will raise your daughter. He's going to give you wonderful counsel because I know the difficulties. I want to end by doing this. Please stand. I'm just going to pray that in the fog of the American Christmas message, the fogginess of peace on earth, goodwill towards men is a human project. It doesn't, it doesn't cut it. But that Jesus, this baby, He's a wonderful counselor. Lean into his eternal wisdom. He's a mighty God. You do have the power. You have the power to do what he says. He is an everlasting father. And he's the prince of peace. Jesus, we we thank you that you are the great and mighty God. Father, I thank you that when your nation of Israel was at its worst, you gave them the only answer, the best answer. And Jesus, I pray everyone that walked in here today would hear that clearly. That Jesus, you are the only answer and the best answer. And I pray that right now, those people that don't call you Lord, there may be a ritual or a routine not bowed their knee to you. That Jesus, by the power of your words and by the presence of your spirit, would you remove the scales from their eyes so that they can see you for who you are. May your Holy Spirit draw them to you right now. Coming in, maybe not wanting, but now all of a sudden, for some reason, they're curious to know you. And Holy Spirit, we know that that's what you do. You strike a curiosity about this baby in a manger. Jesus, we love you. And we love serving you. In Jesus' name. If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need you, my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you've just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. 
The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, we pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you. Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world.